And we're looking specifically at how Abraham became the friend of God, which is what God has called him. God calls him his friend. What God did, he took the initiative on Abraham's part and involved himself in that one that he chose. And he chose Abraham uh, for the specific purpose of building a nation through him. Now, what we also know is this. God has done the same thing with us. When, you, when God saw you trusting Jesus Christ as Savior, as he looked down before time began and through his foreknowledge saw you trusting Jesus Christ to be Savior, he also put an eternal calling on you as well. God has a specific purpose for you that he's called you to. And God has involved himself in that purpose just as he did with Abraham. Now, as he does that in different lives, in different ways, sometimes it's a very spectacular thing. He makes his plan very known, his direction very clear. Sometimes God does it very quietly. Uh, he just does almost seems like he's not involved at all, but actually working behind the scenes in a sense to continue that purpose going through. There are times God allows us to walk a certain path, even though it's not the path he's chosen for us. He allows us to walk that path, and he does that so we might see the error of our ways and get ourselves back on track and return to him again. But in every case, no matter what is going on in your life, God is involved. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, God is always involved, and God is always acting on the purpose that he set for you before time began. Now, this is no revelation to you, I'm sure, but we learn by real-life experiences. That's how we learn. When we learn to walk in, uh, we learn as we walk in God's ways, we learn when we choose to go our own way. Uh, one of the worst mistakes a parent could ever do is stop a child from making a mistake. That is probably one of the worst things to do, uh, stop a child from making a bad choice. Because sometimes the only way a child learns is to make good choices is by making bad choices. And although it's frustrating to watch it happen, sometimes we just want to get our hands in there and stop it. Uh, we can't do that if we want the child to learn. Sometimes God is also silent. It seems like he's not there at all. His silence is not an indication he's not involved or that, uh, that, is, that he doesn't care. Uh, everything that he does or anything that he allows in our, in our lives all work toward him growing us and developing us in our faith, whether he's actively doing that or more passively doing that. Now, what you see in the life of Abraham, and I'm sure you've seen this up to this point, uh, there are stages of, in, in God's development of him into the character and the faith that, that Abraham finally had. And as we continue on in this study, we want to look at this process that God put Abraham through in order to bring him into the stage of development that God had for him, each stage that he had. Before you can have a building, there's got to be a foundation. And as we consider God's work in the life of Abraham, what we see is God is laying a foundation for him so Abraham can do and be what God called him and purpose for him to do. Abraham developed in his walk with the Lord because of his personal experience with God. As he spent time with God, he developed that walk. And as he grew to know God's ways, grew to know God's character, Abraham gave the right responses when God spoke, when God came into his life, encountered him in his life. Uh, Abraham's faith was in direct proportion to how much he learned and experienced God. And God allowed all sorts of internal and external turmoil to come into his life to test him and to shape him. Abraham also grew as God held to the covenant that he made with Abraham. We talked about that covenant the past two weeks. Uh, even though there were circumstances that seemed to contradict the, that, that the covenant would ever be fulfilled, God did it just like he said he would. And Abraham learned to respond and make decisions that God would use to make him uh, who God intended him to be from the very beginning. And it ultimately shaped Abraham into becoming the friend of God. And we'll see as we continue on that if we resist God's plan, if we try to adjust God's plan more to our liking so it fits with our plans, God's work cannot and will not be done. It's got to be God's way or it's no way. That's just how it is. It's either his plan or no plan. And the sooner and more completely we realize that and learn that, the more complete God's work will be in us. All right, go to Genesis chapter 12. 
Genesis chapter 12. We have been in this passage now a couple of weeks. I want to continue there tonight. Uh, and I want to look at verse 7 as we start to see. We read that the, the covenant is actually in verses 1 through 3, verses 1 through 4. Uh, verse 4, rather, is Abraham's response to it. But look at verse 7. It says, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there buildeth he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. Now, verse 7 is where I really want to focus. That is, he appeared unto Abram, unto thy seed will I give this land. And there built he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. The covenant has been set. It's been revealed to Abraham what God's plan is. And now God waits to see what Abraham is going to do. How is Abraham going to respond? Will he respond in faith to what God wants him to do? Now, there are three aspects to Abraham's response that I want us to see tonight because they're essential to anybody who wants to do what God's called them to do. Notice Abraham responded immediately. He responded thoroughly, and he responded in faith. Back up to verse 4, one of my favorite verses in this chapter. It says, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. God says, here's what I want you to do. And Abram departs. He starts off, responds immediately. And he responds to everything God called him to do in full faith in God's direction that he could, that God would manage to call it on his life. Abraham was obedient, but more than that, he was obedient to the very letter of what God said. Now notice that as a part of his response, Abraham builds an altar to God. At the core of Abraham's response was a desire to worship God. God will reveal his heart and will do his work to that one who is ready to worship and ready to respond to God's commands. Now, to understand how obedient Abraham was, I'm going to, have your, I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. Don't turn there. Hebrews 11:8. That verse says, By faith Abraham, when he, was, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. <laughs> Abraham set off on God's plan, having no idea where he was going. He just started walking in the direction that God indicated to him and just kept walking. No idea where he was going at all. That was of no concern to Abraham whatsoever. He simply knew that what he needed to do was obey. Now, go to Genesis chapter 22 and look at verse 18. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 18, because here is the result of Abraham's obedience. As he set out on that plan, uh, not knowing where he was going, just walked in the direction God pointed him to, uh, Genesis 28:2:18 shows us the result. It says, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. That blessing carried on not just to Abraham, but it carried on to his seed after him. In Genesis 26, verse 4, God speaks to Abraham, and here's what he says. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars. This is Isaac now, not Abraham. This is Isaac. I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give seed unto all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Isaac, because your dad was faithful and obeyed, here's what's going to happen to you. I'm going to bless all nations through you. Can it be any clearer to us, folks, how God honors the obedience of his children? That obedience enhances our lives, but it also enhances not only our lives, but the lives of all who come after us. Our obedience to God has to be immediate, has immediate as well as far-reaching effects. Now, I want to go back to verse 7 again and have us look for a moment at this altar that Abraham built. 
His response to God's message was to build an altar. His first response to his encounter with God was to worship him. That altar was not some spontaneous reaction to what God communicated to him. That altar was a natural response of what was already in Abraham's heart. And this was not some routine worship that he was going through. This was focused worship on God in response to what God had revealed to him. And it was worship in response to the fact that God had chosen to condescend to him and establish a covenant with him. Now, God making a covenant with people on earth was a rare occurrence. That had only happened twice before it happened to Abraham. God made a covenant with Adam, and God made a covenant with Noah, and these covenants were not something God was required to do. God had no requirement on himself to come down to mankind and make a covenant with them, not obligated whatsoever. These covenants were by God's will and by God's desire, and they happened only because God desired to do it. And clearly, Abraham understood all of that. Why do I say that? Because he responds to this establishing this covenant uh, by worshiping the God of that covenant. That was his automatic response. Now, we have talked a lot in this church over the years about what true worship is. I'm not going to go through all that this evening. I want to remind us tonight that worship is the action of ascribing worth or value to someone or to something. Worship is ascribing worth to somebody or to something. We worship whatever we see worth that has worth to us. And so that's what worship is. Uh, when we worship, what we are saying is the object of our worship has real, immeasurable value to us. And so true biblical worship is not participating in a praise service. It is not some emotional display with eyes closed and hands raised. What Abraham shows us is true worship is a lifestyle. It's a daily walk. It's a natural, daily expression of the worth that we place upon God because of what he has been to us and is willing to do through us and for us. True worship is not something that's manufactured by a certain style of music that puts us in the mood. Music may be a part of that. Participating in church may be a part of that. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But worship should happen everywhere and should happen all the time. We should always be in an attitude of worship. There is never a time in our walk where he is not worthy. <laughs> He's always worthy. Now look at verse 8. I read it to you a minute ago. Let me read it to you again. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 8. And he removed from thence, speaking of Abraham, he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east side of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abraham moves to Bethel. What does he do? He builds an altar. Folks, it was a lifestyle. It was a natural thing for Abraham to worship. God was so real to him. God was such a participant in his life that worship simply came naturally as a part of all that. And the reason many believers don't worship is simply because God is not a primary part of their life. He's one part of their life, not the total of their life. He's someone that they pull out on a Sunday or pull out when they're in a jam and then put him away when the crisis is over. The one who truly worships is that one whose life has been impacted by the Lord every day, every minute, all the time. That's when worship occurs. Worship flows naturally from that one who always has their faith directed toward him. And as God directed those special times when he revealed himself to Abraham, Abraham responded in greater worship toward him. We have two verses, verse 7 and verse 8, and he builds an altar in both of them. Two altars are set up. As he goes to another place, he builds another altar. Abraham responded with worship toward God every time God reacted or spoke to him. And as we're going to see in a few moments, that altar in Bethel became a very special place to, to Abraham. So what do we learn about Abraham's worship from these verses? 
Well, first of all, we learned already, we've already mentioned, his worship was not some blind ritualistic thing. Notice what verse 7 says again. There he built, built I'm sorry, there built he an altar under the Lord. That's where the altar was focused. His worship was focused specifically toward the Lord. Notice, secondly, that his, his worship was personal. This was a time between God and Abraham. Folks, it is wonderful to come to church and worship God together. We are required, we're expected, God commands us to do that. But that should never be a substitute for our own personal worship of God. As we, in our own way and by ourselves, ascribe worth to God for what he has done for us personally. And we can do that anywhere, at any time. Uh, we can do that simply acknowledging who God is and what he has personally done for us. But I want you to notice, thirdly, the worship that Abraham did was very real. He built an altar. He set up an altar to worship there. He built a real physical place where he could come apart and worship God at that place. Our worship should not be done in passing. It shouldn't be some afterthought or something we force into our schedules every day. Our worship should be intentional time where we set ourselves apart and set time aside just to reflect on how good God has been to us and how worthy he is as a result. So Abraham's worship was very real and very personal. But number four, notice also his worship was very public, a very public worship. Abraham's worship was not hidden. He was not ashamed, nor did he try to hide the worth that he ascribed to God. He built an altar. He put that altar there. Everybody who walked by that place could see that altar sitting there, uh, that altar uh, directed toward a worship of God. Let me ask you something, believer. Are people aware of who you worship? Are people aware of what you worship? Do they know what's really important to you? Uh, you may, I'm sure you are aware of this. It's more and more true by the day. There are all sorts of gods out there. All sorts of gods. Material gods, immaterial gods, spiritual gods, and non-spiritual gods. They're all over the place. There's going to be a whole lot of worshiping done this Sunday. Did you know that? Sunday about 6 o'clock, there's going to be folks worshiping all over the nation, all over the world. Because they worship a football. And they're going to watch that game because they worship that thing. There's all kinds of things to worship. All things that we ascribe worth to. There are many religions that worship everything but the true God. Are the people that you have contact with aware of just how much God means to you? Do they know that? Are they aware of that? Does your worship show in your attitudes and in your actions on a daily basis consistently? You know what Abraham did? He put his object of worship out there for everybody to see. <laughs> he put it out there so they couldn't miss it. There was that altar. They knew exactly who Abraham worshipped. Uh, our worship needs to do, be, do the exact same thing. Our world needs to see and be aware that there's only one being who deserves our worship. Only one person on earth, only one thing, in quotes, I say that, uh, that deserves our worship. And everything else that might attempt to take his place are fake substitutes for the real thing. That's what the world needs to know about. They need to see that. And so we worship God in our quiet time when nobody else is around. But that is not the only place or the only time we do that. Abraham built an altar that was a practical display of Abraham's heart attitude toward God. And Abraham was not ashamed of his worship. He put his worship on public display, and everybody who saw that altar was aware of Abraham's connection between himself and who he worshipped. Uh, they were aware of the activity and the blessing of God in his life and his growing faith in God. They saw that every time they saw that altar. They knew exactly what that was all about. So as we go through this, we're seeing more and more of how Abraham could have such a faith that he had to move out and go to a place that he was completely unaware of, had no idea where he was going. Abraham's demonstration of his faith was going out and not knowing where he was going, but did it anyway. How could he do that? 
it was because much more, much more time before that, before that ever occurred, Abraham had set his heart to worship God. That was a stationary place in his life. That's what he did. Uh, he had set his heart to worship God, and that worship set up such a relationship with God, such a place in his heart, that God could ask Abraham to do whatever he wanted, and Abraham would do it without question. Folks, that's where we need to get. That's why we're doing this study. We need a group of people who, no matter what God asks us to do, individually or corporately, will say, okay, Lord, if that's what you want, we're going to do it. And if we'll do that, we'll turn this world upside down for Jesus Christ. I believe that with all my heart. That's what being the friend of God is all about. Complete and total trust because we know him so well that we trust him that much. Why are we speaking so much about worship tonight? It's because nobody can be consistently shaped by God or consistently blessed by God if they've not established in their heart to worship God. He's got to be worthy. He's got to have full worth. He's got to be the only worthy one in your life. As we worship God, he reveals himself to us, and his worth continues to grow as a result. And we see that demonstrated in Abraham's life. If you think about it, folks, uh, really, worship is the only activity you can participate in that is completely God-centered. It's the only thing you can do that is totally God-centered. It's all focused just on him. It is deliberate, steady, focused time with God. There's no focus on us during that time. There's no intention of us getting anything from spending that time in worship. Now, we gain from it for sure. We do gain from it. But that's not the point of it. What happens during that time is we create a new opportunity to encounter God. Every time you're still and know that he is God, God will let you know who he is. <laughs> You'll encounter him. He'll pop in and encounter you every time you worship. Guaranteed. And so what that means is we have the opportunity Every moment of every day to have an encounter with God. It will simply ascribe worth to him and let him know how worthy we truly think he is. And by that encounter, we learn more about God. By that encounter, we hear, we hear from God in it. All that goes on in the process of worshiping him. And through the process of worship, God molds our character. He shapes us to be more like him. He gives us direction to our lives that is in accord with his will. And what we can say about Abraham from all that we've seen is that Abraham was a supreme worshiper. <laughs> Abraham was a supreme worshiper. Wouldn't you like that to be the title over your life? Supreme worshiper. What you do better than anything else is worship him. That should be the goal of all of us. And it is an attainable goal if we we'll put the time into it to do it. Abraham knew the value of worship. He also knew the importance of worship. And the result is what we mentioned, uh, mentioned many times already. Abraham's life was totally and completely yielded to God. Abraham's life was not a life on Abraham's terms. Abraham's life was a life on God's terms. But I want to be very clear about this so as we don't get the wrong impression. We live in this instant age where we want everything to be immediate. The life and approach that Abraham developed was a process. He didn't decide one day for this to happen and it just happened. <laughs> He started that process a long time ago and grew in his faith all the way along until God finally appears to him here in Genesis chapter 12 and Abraham responds just as he should. It won't happen immediately. It won't happen instantaneously. That's not how it works. It's a process. It occurs over time. He pursued God in worship all of his life until he got to that point. And that character in Abraham developed as external circumstances, as trials came in, and all those things directed Abraham's attention more toward God. Your trial should point you to Jesus Christ. They shouldn't point you to anything else. 
No matter what comes into your life, God allows that thing to come into your life to point you back to him, get you focused more on him. That's why they come. That's why God allows those things. And so I hope I'm not wearing you out with this, but I want to say it to you again. Worship of God is essential to God molding us and using us and developing a relationship with us. Do you want to be the friend of God tonight? Worship him. In a defined time, in a structured time, worship him. Find how worthy he really is and express that worth to him however you do that. We will never draw close to him. We'll never know him if we don't spend significant, sustained, dedicated time worshiping him, ascribing worth to him. Now, Abraham's not the only example of this in Scripture where somebody uh, found God, uh, developed that relationship with God through worship. We find the same thing happening with Isaiah. Uh, uh, God also appears to Isaiah as well. God encounters Isaiah, and in that moment, God reveals his heart and his purpose for Isaiah. Isaiah responded immediately, just as Abraham did when God showed him his plan. I want to read Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 5. Isaiah is speaking here. God has encountered him. Here is Isaiah's response in Isaiah 6, 5. He says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. There's his worship. And then listen to verse 8. Isaiah speaking again. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. You see, the worship started the process. The encounter with God solidified it. And Abraham, Isaiah, because he was listening to what God said, he responded by saying, Here am I, send me, send me. Isaiah worshipped. He encountered God. He got himself in proper relationship with God. And then God spoke to him, and Isaiah heard the commission, and his response to God's direction was immediate, thorough, and full of faith, just as was Abraham's. Here am I, said me. You see the same thing occurring in the life of Hannah in the book of 1 Samuel. God encountered Hannah while she was worshiping in the temple. God came to her and revealed his purpose to her. God said, I'm going to grant you a son, as you've requested, and this son is going to be a great deliverer for my people. And Hannah's response was almost immediate and complete. As soon as that child was able to travel, Hannah brought that child to Eli. And here's what she told him in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 26. Hannah says, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. Now, we're not going to get into all that tonight, folks, but that's an amazing thing. This woman prays for this child over and over and over, and the minute God gives that child to her, she lends him to God, puts him in the temple to become a servant of God. That's a remarkable thing. We see the same thing occurring with Zacharias in the book of Luke. God reveals to him that through he and his wife Elizabeth, uh, they're going to give birth to that one who's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. And they cooperated with that immediately by giving the name uh, to that child that the angel commanded. And they surrendered that child to God. Folks, I hope I'm making my point. There is important, the importance of worship is there in order for God to use us the way we want to be used. For de- to, in order to develop a friendship with God, we must be involved in steady, sustained worship. Every opportunity that God gives us comes as we worship him, both in action and in attitude. And God's purpose is going to be revealed as we spend time developing that relationship with him in truth, by ascribing true worth to him. Now, we talked a minute ago about the importance of this uh, Bethel, this altar that he built there in Bethel. 
I want you to look at Genesis chapter 12 as we wrap things up tonight and look at verse 10. This place, Bethel, becomes a significant place to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, and there was a famine in the land. So now there's a famine that comes on. And as the famine comes on, look at what it says. And Abraham and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. The difficult times came. There was a famine in the land. God allowed that famine to come. God allows all these concerns, all these trials to come into our lives for the opportunity for us to show him where our faith really is. The difficult times reveal whose ways we're following, his or ours. Paul comments on on this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. I'm sure you know these verses well. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Only a believer who is trusting God and obeying God and worshiping God can react to difficulties without care. Only that believer can react to these difficulties in true faith. And that was a lesson that Abraham had to learn in his walk with God. Look at verse 10 again, and notice what you don't see there. What don't you see in that verse? Well, you don't see Abraham checking with God first. (laughs) What you don't see there is Abraham stopping and saying, Lord, what shall I do about this famine? It says there was a famine, and Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, never once consulting God whatsoever as far as how he, what he ought to do in response to this famine. Abraham didn't consult God. His response was as though someone who had, had, did not have God. He responds as someone who w- would respond without God. He made a decision to take care of that situation himself by heading to Egypt. Now, the famine's real. A decision had to be made, but Abraham made that decision on his own. God is not consulted anywhere in that verse. You don't see it anywhere. And as the famine got worse, there was still no seeking an encounter with God. Abraham lost track for a minute there. His faith lapsed because he's human just like we are. He was not worshiping God. He was not seeking to worship to hear God's voice. As the famine came and he responded, he reacted. This, was, this famine was one more opportunity for Abraham to show where his faith really was. God gave him another chance to show that. An opportunity for Abraham to show that he trusted God, that he relied upon God, not just in the good times, but in all times, not just under good conditions, but in all conditions. Folks, God brings famines into our lives to test his servants. God brings famines into our lives to to allow us to demonstrate our faith. But God cannot show us how he provides if we go to the world or to some other person for provision. If I have a concern in my life and I need provision for that concern and I go to somewhere else, I don't give God the opportunity to provide for me. I've taken care of that thing myself. And if I do that, I will never experience how God could have provided for me if I simply trusted him for the situation that I was in. And again, that's why one of the underlying themes of this study is that the only obedience that God will bless is complete obedience complete obedience. God needs us to be completely obedient in order for us to be used. Anything less than that, and we're trusting ourselves or somebody else to provide that for us. Friendship with God can not result from incomplete obedience. It'll never happen. It's got to be complete. There is no fast track to push the process along, and when we try to rush that process, we typically begin using our thinking and our approach and our wisdom to get the results that we seek, and what results from that oftentimes is lost relationships and lost ministries and lost testimonies and pain and heartache and frustration. 
I will tell you from my own personal experience, I have never once done it my way and had good results from it. <laughs> never once. It always turns out to be something worse than what it should have been when I go my way. Uh, there's always some loss to me when I choose to take things into my own hands rather than allow God to do that for me. Now, the grace of God is shown here because God was not about to let his friend get lost in these bad choices that he made. And so what does God do? Look at verse 17. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. What did God do? He encountered Abraham again. He came back in. As he watched Abraham make these choices, God shows up and again encounters his friend. Uh, God steps in and makes himself real once again to Abraham. What did, Ab- what did God do? I think he tapped Abraham on the shoulder and says, Hey, Abraham, guess who's in charge here? <laughs> Guess who's in charge? He let him know once again, Abraham, you're not in charge, nor do you need to be in charge. I'm in charge. I've got this thing handled. And notice what it says there. Look at verse, look at the, uh, verse 10 again. I'm sorry, verse uh, 17. I mixed up. Go to chapter 13 and go to look at verse 3. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel. This is talking about Abraham now. So God encounters him in verse 17. Abraham gets back on track, and he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. God encounters Abraham. Abraham worships again. And notice when he worshiped there at Bethel there in chapter 13 and verse 4, what does he do? He calls upon the name of the Lord. I will read you a verse from Psalm 124, verse 8. This is David speaking, and here's what he says. He says, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. He calls on the name of the Lord. What does he do? He returns to his provider. He returns to his protector. He returns to that one who should have been trusted in the first place when the famine came. And because he had developed that kind of relationship with God that he had, it didn't take long for him to return to where he should have been all along. (laughs) Folks, when we drift, when our faith lapses, and I'm going to tell you it's going to, it always will, sooner or later, sometime or another, when our faith lapses, the best thing to do is go back to Bethel. (laughs) Go back to Bethel. Go back to that place where God first encountered you. Go back to that place where he first revealed himself to you. Go back to that place where he made his plan clear to you. Go back to Bethel. When we drift, as soon as God makes us aware and God encounters us again, we need to go back to that place of worship and reestablish that relationship with him. And if we'll do that, our journey picks up right where it left off when when we made the choice to get off track. And I want to show you something else about this that I find very, very interesting. Notice in verses 1 through 3, God gives him a covenant. By verse 11, Abraham strays. As Abraham is on the mountaintop, that's when he falls. The greatest chance to fall is when we are on the mountaintop. You can't fall in a valley, folks. You can't fall down any farther than you already are. But when you're on the mountaintop, there's a whole long way to fall. And by the way, Satan sees you best on the mountaintop. Did you know that? He sees it best when you're out there for all to display. Satan's got his eye on us whenever we're on the mountaintop. And that's typically the place when we're going to fall. 
Uh, those falls tend to occur because of choices we make when difficulties come. When we're on that mountaintop and a struggle happens, we make the wrong choice, and as a result, we slip and we drift and we take the wrong path. Life is really nothing but a series of choices. You're aware of that. And the choices that we make determine the path we're going to follow. And as Abraham returned to Bethel, uh, by that choice, God responded and did something amazing to him. Look at verse 14 of chapter 13. Genesis 13:14. And the Lord said unto Abram, after the lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward, for all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent, and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. For the first time now, after making that covenant with Abraham, he shows him the land. And he says, stand in one place and turn your head all the way around and all that you see, I'm going to give to you. And not only am I, am I going to give it to you, I'm going to give it to your seed after you. Because you waited, because you believed, because you obeyed, because you returned, God blessed him as a result. And notice God added to that blessing by promising not only is Abraham going to be blessed, but his descendants after him are also going to be blessed. And I love the end of verse 18. How did Abraham respond? <laughs> he built an altar and he worshipped. A natural thing for Abraham to do. Life is a series of choices, folks. We can choose to worship and God reveals himself to us. We can choose our own path and miss out seeing what God and his power will reveal to us if we'd allow him to. Being the friend of God is the result of making the right choice. And if we sustain our faith and our obedience to him, he's going to respond by increasing that blessing on us more and more and more and more. As we close, remind you of Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. He says, if you wait, I'll pour a blessing on you that you're not going to be able to receive. It's going to be so much. That's how much he wants to bless us. That blessing comes as he makes the choice to consistently sustain giving him worth, ascribing worth to him. Worship is the way to become the friend of God. Let's stand.